Scudder's career was just beginning, my parents had been inseparable, living in a succession of theatrical digs and longer-term lets. But once theatre gave way to cinema, a stable home took priority, and my sister Cherry was then coming up for eight. Renting the top floor of my grandmother's house in Ealing must have seemed the perfect solution, not far from the studios and company for my mother when Dudder was away, not to mention schools and cousins for Cherry. It was while they were living in Ealing that I came along a breach delivery, and I was two weeks late. But within a few months, our little family had moved, my father's film star status demanding something rather grander. Gerard's Cross in Buckinghamshire was equidistant between the film studios of Denham and Pinewood, and the address of choice for directors and actors on the up, and we were soon ensconced in the first home I can really remember, Steeple, white-painted stucco enlivened with blackened timbers, dated from the twenties, and boasted latticed windows and gothic gables. It sat on a large triangular plot, a steeply sloping peninsula between two roads that joined at the bottom. The garden had once been an orchard, and each autumn we had more apples, plums and pears than mummy knew what to do with. My first clear memory is of being propped in my pram while my mother did things in the garden. Other memories lead on from that one, staring at the world upside down through my legs, the smell of new-mown grass, my big sister teaching me how to roly-poly down the lawn. The corner of memory set aside for my father, however, is empty. He did live at Steeple from time to time, my mother assures me, but I have no memory of it. There were dinner parties, she says. Bob Monkhouse and his wife were among their friends. The boxer, Freddie Mills, was Cherry's godfather. Mummy loved entertaining and did it brilliantly. I think she hoped that moving into their own home with its sprawling garden would mark a fresh start, especially with me, the new addition to the family. But it was not to be. My father was handsome and talented and was now moving in a world far removed from post-war Western Supermare, where he and my mother had first met and fallen in love one sultry summer night. It was June 1947, and my father, soon to be demobbed, had been persuaded to wear his uniform one last time to escort Western Supermare's newly elected Rose Queen to a gala dinner at the end of the pier. His parents had moved to Western at the outbreak of war when he was about fifteen, My father remained a glamorous, if shadowy, presence throughout my childhood. There were no pictures of him in the house. I only knew what he looked like because I'd seen him on television when I would wave to him madly. I understood enough about acting to know that he couldn't wave back, but obviously he could see me, just as I could see Mummy when we did plays at school. One afternoon in midsummer, when I must have been about four, I remember very clearly being put down for an afternoon rest, and informing Johnson, my teddy, which I still have, that I was too old for an afternoon sleep. It was one of those brilliant summer days that childhood memories filled with, and I wanted to be outside in the garden playing. Although the curtains were drawn, the window was open, and it wasn't long before I heard voices. I got up and peered out, and there, sitting on the swing seat, was my mother, my sister, and a man. Instantly, I knew who it was. Dada! Mummy must have thought I was asleep and didn't want to disturb me. He was there, it turned out, to take Cherry away on holiday. She would have been about thirteen, and my mother hadn't wanted me to know what was happening, fearing, rightly, that I would feel left out. I don't know why he didn't keep in touch. Maybe he felt he'd forfeited the right to interfere. Maybe my mother wanted to keep me to herself. The journalist in me would love to know what happened, but as a daughter I have no wish to stir up ancient hurts. What good would it do? Parents have a right to keep their private lives private, and I love them both. 
Dudder's departure so soon after my birth hit my sister much harder than it did me. They'd lived as a proper family for eight and a half years before I came along. She still remembers the starry 1954 season in Stratford and the house they rented at 61 Waterside. She went to school there with Anthony Quayle's daughter, and Lawrence Harvey bought her a pair of red slip-on shoes after she was mocked for only having brown sandals. For me, it was different. To all intents and purposes, I never had a father, or the life that went with it. Divorce was rare in those days. School friends might have had fathers they rarely saw, but at least they were a presence in the house. Their coats would be hanging in the hall, their shoes would be by the door, there'd be a toothbrush and a tooth mug in the bathroom. I didn't even know what fathers did. My mother's family were positively exotic. Gerald, my grandfather, read classics at Oxford. When war broke out in 1914, he volunteered, went to France and was badly wounded. It was while he was recuperating in England that he met the woman he would marry, my grandmother, Winifred...